Uh, what's up, guys? Welcome to another session on the podcast. Today, I have Destiny Afu with whom I will be discussing capitalism and socialism in Africa. Welcome to the show, Destiny. Thank you for having me, man. Thank you a lot for having me. I'm looking forward to a fruitful conversation with you. Yeah, we should have done this like two weeks earlier, but due to um, uh, schedules that's uh, clashing and also due to network issues. But here we are today. Yeah. All right, please introduce yourself to my viewers. Okay, my, my name is uh, my name is Destiny Afu, and uh, I'm the founder of the Afu Foundation. I mainly work in issues uh, based on governance, leadership, uh, international relations, and international development. All right, all right. Um, so you are from Cameroon. Could you give us a background on what the economy of Cameroon is like? Okay. Um, uh, thank you for that question, uh, man. I the, I just want to say uh, Cameroon is a middle, no, it's a lower, lower, so should I say, lower middle income, you know, economy. And um, it's, uh, should I say, it's a mixed economic system in which uh, we have a play of uh, government regulations and free enterprise. So generally, that is the background. Generally, that, that's the background of the Cameroon economy. Cameroon economy is the largest in the Samak region. Samak region, that's uh, central, uh, the economic commission of Central Africa. We have Gabon, we have Chad, we have um, uh, Equatorial Guinea, we have Cameroon, and we have um, the Central African Republic. So Cameroon economy is the largest in it. And we have a GDP of uh, $54.43 billion. That's, uh, that's the general background of the Cameroon economy. Interesting. Now, I'm also aware that for some years now, there's a conflict going on between the English-speaking side and the French-speaking side. Now, is it okay for me to describe it as a civil war? No, it's 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 not a civil war. It's, oh, okay. it's uh, definitely not a civil war. It's definitely not a civil war. Should, should I say, uh, it's more like, and um, should I say, how do I, I, I'm trying to find the right word to use. It's more like a, 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 a grievance, should I say? More, it's more like a grievance. You know, the Anglophones think they are marginalizing a lot of things. So um, they decided to, uh, to to raise up the point. And, you know, before they knew that they, they, they took up arms, which is not, should I say, you know, because if you want to compare the, the, the fighting spirit of, uh, you know, the, the guys who took up arms against the government, it's, it has no match. So I, I shouldn't say it's a civil war. It's not yet a civil war, but if it, if it dragged long, long enough, it, it's going to be. It's going to be, though there are, no sign, there are no signs of that because actually calm is actually returning. And um, well, actually where I am now, I am, I am in an, an Anglophone region. And today, Monday, it, you know, it's, it's, it's a routine goes down everywhere, but you know, things are getting better, which you can see some movement now. Interesting. Um, how long has this conflict been on? Yeah, this has been since uh, 2016. I'll, I'll just give you a rundown of it. It started in 2016. It didn't start as a conflict like this, as you know it, okay? Now, um, first of all, you know, Cameroon got independence. Uh, you know, the English side got, the French side got independence first. Then the English side came came in, and the question that was asked was, "Are you willing to join? Are you willing to gain independence to join Nigeria?" 
that was British administered Nigeria, or you want to gain independence by joining the French Republic of Cameroon. So the question was asked, like since 1961. So there was a there was a system of government, it was the federal system, which was put in place, but was abolished under the Ayijo regime. So uh, that's what that's that's basically the, the general uh, cause of this conflict. But for the conflict, it, it had been since 2016. It started just like uh, you know, as a strike action of teachers and lawyers, we who were expressing grievances on uh, on English system being marginalized in you know in the general Cameroon system, and before we knew it, you know, people came in and said they wanted independence. Now, so that's how it started. It's been since 2016, but the worst years were 2017, 18, and 19. I mean, that was the worst years. Those were the worst years. Interesting. Um, would you say the government has been able to manage the conflict well, or perhaps? Uh, the conflict has been able to drag on for so long, perhaps because of uh, government's ineptitude in, in handling the situation. Yes, exactly. That, that's the case. You know, um, the one thing about the government is they don't want to play, they don't want to play like a, uh, like a negotiator. You know, they call these guys terrorists, so they, they don't want to have anything to negotiate with them. And um, they don't want a situation where they will see like the government is being too weak, you know, and too substandard to go down to the level to negotiate with people who have grievances based on, you know, uh, marginalization issues. That's what the government is doing. And so what they do is they just militarize the whole place. And uh, their hope is, you know, the, uh, those who are fighting against them are going to tire out. Maybe their finances are going to tire out with time, are going to wear out the time, and you know the conflict is going to end. That's that's the general ideology of it. And even when when a grand national dialogue was called, it wasn't like a dialogue. It was just like a monologue. The government just came in and stated what they wanted, hmm. and then and then that's it. And they called it the Grand National Dialogue. But, you know, when you call it, when you say dialogue, you have to get people involved, like opposing parties involved in the dialogue, and you hear their opinions and you try to resolve between them. But it wasn't the case. You know, it wasn't the case. So the government is just trying to play like the winner over it. You know, they, they are trying to impose their winning strategy over it, so they don't appear weak or incapable or something of handling the conflict like that. And even the international community knows, you know, they have been so they have been able to make the international community know that it's just an internal grievance in which they are handling. And so you don't have it, you don't have it on coverage like the conflict in Sudan or the conflict in Yemen or all the others. So that's what I've been, they have been doing. You know, most African countries are no stranger to internal conflict. In Nigeria, we certainly have our own fair share of that. I remember we've had conflicts as regards to oil. You know, we've had conflict as regards to resources and wealth of you. So, um, I mean, Cameroon, I guess, is not an exception to that. But I want to ask you, in what ways um, has this conflict affected the economy of Cameroon? I assume oh. it, has, it has affected it in some ways. Mm, yes, a lot. Like, <laughs> I, I, I just, it, it's, it's been immense. It's been immense. You know, huh. at the start of this year, at the start of this year, the president of the republic actually announced that they were going to stop subsidizing um, some certain products like uh, petroleum. Petroleum products in Cameroon were being subsidized a lot, and they had to increase a lot of taxes. A lot of taxes. I mean, price price hikes in Cameroon have gone up like twenty percent from what they used to be. And I know it is as a result of the war, which has caused strain on the economy. And so the government is trying to get finances, you know, to cope with their development agendas. And a lot of our development agendas have been held up 
just because of the crisis. Just a lot, a lot of it has been held up for, because of the crisis of these past years. And so the government is trying to raise money to see how they can keep up, they can, you know, follow their development agenda and, you know, fund, still fund, you know, their fight against the conflict. That's, that's really what has been going on. And it's affected a lot of people. Like I told you, Mondays in every English region is what they call a ghost town. And uh, offices are closed, businesses are closed, just nothing. Just, just imagine, it's a Monday, the beginning of the week. And every, everywhere is closed. Where, where are you supposed to, to have businesses turning around? There's nothing. So in Cameroon now, we actually, in English Cameroon, you actually have three days a weekend. <laughs> it's uh, funny, right? Yeah, three days yeah. a weekend. And Mondays is the worst. Yeah. No business activity. And you know what's, you know what's that, that's, that, what that's stopping. I certainly hope that things get better for the English-speaking side and for Cameroon in general. But let's talk about yeah. Africa, though. Africa is a continent of 54 countries. And um, of course, Africa also houses perhaps the largest um, poverty population in the world. Nigeria is the poverty capital of the world, as you may know. So do you think the poverty we are experiencing in Africa is a consequence of failed economic system? And if so, which economic system do you think Africa should adopt? Should Africa adopt a more socialist system or a more capitalistic system, or something of a mix of both. Okay, now I will say this: um, the, the poverty in Africa is not because of uh, capitalism or socialism or communism or the system, as you say. It's it's because of the leadership, and the leadership has not yet put in place institutions, you know, which can which can you know, require any system, any of this system, either capitalist or socialist or communist to operate well. The leadership has not yet put in place those kind of systems. So um, I think basically it's the leadership. Now, I, I want to make, I, I just want to sound this distinction so we have a, a clear understanding between what we call capitalism and socialism and communism. Capitalism simply means uh, an economy where resources and means of production are simply run by private individuals. And socialism, it's uh, uh, an economic system where, you know, they consider that resources and means of production are run by, you know, the community, uh, the people, you know, through their government. And communism, on the other hand, is where the government has total charge over resources and means of production. Yes, yeah, so that's it. Now, I want to say this. The different thing is we should not, we, we should not base our economies or our successes on labels, okay? Uh, to, to say an economy is going to succeed when it's socialist or a communist or capitalist, I think it's it's the wrong thing to do because I've seen communist economies do well. I've seen capitalist economies do well. I've seen socialist economies do well. And if Africa has to succeed, if nations have to succeed in Africa, you look at the realities of your people. You look at what they are facing. You look at you look at you know the income level of your people and you know what system to put in place and the institutions to back those systems up. That is what is going to make it succeed. So capitalism can succeed in Africa, yes. Socialism can succeed in Africa, yes. And communism, dare I say, yeah, it can succeed in Africa if they are the right systems in place. I'll take an example from a nation like China. China mm -hmm. system is, uh, should I say capitalist? No, no, not capitalist, socialist or communist. That's what the West describes. But China is a sec the world's second largest economy, in quotes again, you know, even if they are the first, 
there's going to be a manipulation to make sure the information is not out. <laughs> you know, just make sure the U.S. is always in front, and, you know, for the, for the game of capitalism and all that. But you see, they are the second largest economy in the world. And within, within the last 10 years, China removed 400 million people out of poverty. That's a system that's been, uh, that's been criticized generally in the world. That I could say that. Now, if you look at the United States, that's the world's largest economy, that's capitalist. And you see, they are succeeding because they have the, inst the right institutions to back it up. China is succeeding because they have the right institutions to back it up. A nation like, um, should I say, a nation like India, look at a nation like India. India is, is mainly mixed. And you see that there's a high level of poverty in India. And you know, there's, there's a level of, you know, uh, where people are really doing well in India, you know. And their system is highly socialist. So I think um, systems succeed based on the institutions they put in place to back them up, and not necessarily the, 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 the systems themselves, the institutions they put in place to back them up, based on the realities of the people. So you said two things. You said, first of all, we need to fix the problem of leadership in Africa. And also, we don't need a one-size-fits-all approach to these things. Each country should understand its uh, uniqueness and develop something that yes. caters to that. And from there, it doesn't matter if it is if it is socialist or capitalist, as long as it's um it's works. It works at least based on the unique attributes of the people of that country, you know, it's gonna work. Now, but let me play the devil's advocate though. Some people will tell you that based on um based on numbers, right? Capitalism is still the best system of government. Now, you made reference to China, China being a communist system, and yet China is the second largest economy in the world. They would argue with you that under Mao, under Chairman Mao, China was nothing to write them about. It was when China began to adopt a more capitalistic approach, you know, China began to make waves. You know, of course, I would agree with you that uh, based on Chinese, on the Chinese system, everything is regulated in China. Everything is regulated in China. But even so, if China were truly a communist system, China would not be producing the likes of uh, Jack Ma, the owner of Ali, Alibaba, AliExpress. You know, there are lots and lots of billionaires in China. There are lots and lots of unicorns in China. So if China were truly a communist system in the classical sense of the world, then we wouldn't have all these things. It was when they began to take a more capitalistic approach they began to develop the economy, lift people out of poverty, and what of you. But I would, I would give it to you that China is heavily regulated, heavily. I mean, look at what they did, did to Jack Ma. Jack Ma, we don't even know what's, what's up with Jack Ma today. You know, so the Chinese system is that crazy. I mean, that's what the debate on TikTok is, is all about. There are fears that TikTok, being a Chinese company, has to answer to the Chinese government if the Chinese government asks for anything. You know, so those are real concerns I, I would I would give you. But but then based on numbers, based on history, based on what we can see today, they would argue with you that capitalism is still the most preferred system of government for any country to adopt. What do you say to that? Okay. Now I, I just I just want to make this point clear. Um uh, you know the, the the general ideology that China started growing when it adopted a capitalist system, it's uh should I say it's not correct. You know, China started growing when it adopted a globalized system, not a capitalist system, because China was kind of focusing on its tradition and adopted a principle of isolationism, similar to what North Korea is doing right now. 
Yeah. But they decided to open their economy, not that they accepted the capitalist system, no. They decided to open the economy to the world, to expand their trade, especially through the Belt, Belt and Road Initiative. I don't know if you know, know about yeah, that. Yeah. So yeah. That, that, was, that was the idea of the expansion. They, they decided to adopt a global model to think about the world and not just being traditionalist, okay? So China still maintains its tradition, but they are trying to relate with the world on a globalized model, on a globalized form. So expanding forms of international trade, expanding uh, new forms of partnerships and all that, you know, going around the world and doing things. That, that, that's a system um, China adopted, not that they adopted a, a capitalist system, because, you know, everything in China is like still regulated, even up to social media, <laughs> it's still regulated. Yeah. I mean, and, and as I hear, and as I hear, you know, I've been following the news lately, you know, they, they want to make it in a way that there is, China has its own internet, you know, not just social media, internet. It means what we see on our own internet will be different from what people see in China. That, that's, just, that's just an example. So China is highly regulated, as you say. And um, the idea that, uh, you know, nations, the idea that nations, uh, that capitalism has worked for a lot of nations. I think, yes, it has worked for a lot of nations, but considering the realities of the people of that nation, now, let, let, me, let me come to Africa because we're in Africa. You know, just post-independence area, a lot of African nations adopted socialism and even communism. Can I say that? Mandela himself in South Africa, he adopted this principle of socialism, you know, although he said he never wanted labels. And um, our economies were doing pretty fine. In Cameroon, I, I would like to state that example. Cameroon was the fastest, one of the fastest, I think the third in Africa fastest growing economies in Africa, just post-independence. And our president at that time was Amadi Waijo, highly socialist. We want to call it, he should be communist. I mean, because the, the economy was a lot more regulated within this area than now. And we had, uh, we had Cameroon Airlines, which was functioning with Boeing 747 planes. I'm telling you, you know, the salaries of uh, government employees was twice what it is now. Twice what it is now. You know, everything was down, everything, you know, fuel prices were down. Life was, life, life was quite easy in the days of Aijo. You know, though everything was uh, quite authoritative under his regime and all that. Now, when uh, President Bia came to power in 1982-1984, you know, he, had, he wanted to adopt an open system. You know, should be, he wanted to be more capitalist. But there was one thing that said, him, you know, that, that it is reported that the Cameroon economy fell because of two reasons. Fall in the prices of... Uh, export products, that's one, like cocoa and coffee, like ma major things that make up the Cameroon economy. And the second was mismanagement. I, I want us to talk on that second topic, mismanagement. Why? Because they were trying to imp implement a system in which we had not institutions to back them for. You know, so a, a lot of eco economic mismanagement came in under this free system, and the Cameroon economy fell. And up to now, we, we, we still like, uh, shall I say, if you want to call, if you want to talk about the Cameroon economy in the world, we should be number one hundred and thirty-five. Should be one, number one hundred and thirty-five. Cameroon is not doing well in anything right now. I should say that, though we are the, the most, the largest economy in Samarco, compared to Africa, we are nothing. We, we are still just struggling with a lot of things. Based because uh, this this notion of a, of a free capitalist system came in, and we didn't have the institutions to back them up. And so high economic mismanagement setting, and it brought us to where we are. So I want to say that uh, 
Capitalism works. Yeah, it works. But when there are institutions to back them up, when there are strong institutions to back them up, yeah, I think that's what I'm saying. Okay, so let me say this. Um, the problem with socialism or communism is it has proximity with dictatorship. The reason is, is simple. For you to enforce something as, as simple as you regulating the prices of goods and commodities, it usually takes a bit of a tyranny for you to do that as against letting the forces of, of, of supply and demand to determine the prices of these goods and commodities. But when government has to step in to do that, it usually takes force and tyranny for you to enforce that. And so it is no wonder why a country like China, we just talked about China now, China is very regulated. There is no free speech in China. You don't have your personal freedoms. Look at how they treated Chinese citizens during COVID lockdown. You know, so you don't have your freedoms. You don't have your civil liberties under a typical socialist or communist regime. And that is not congruent with, with the principles of democracy. And so those are, this, those are the real issues with socialism. Now, in theory, yes, it's, it's okay when prices of goods and commodities are regulated in such a way that the average citizen will be able to afford them. But in the long run, does that always work, though? Because when you regulate prices of goods and commodities, apart from the uh, flagrant disregard of human rights that usually occurs in a socialist regime, also it amps economic growth of the private sector. As an investor, I won't be able to invest in such an economy. You know, I, I won't be easy doing that because I know the government can always regulate, come in at any point in time, regulate whatever it, it wants to regulate, and I may not be able to maximize my profits. And also... It's usually okay when private sectors do their thing. The more money they make, the more employees they're able to employ, right? The more a business grows, the more people that business employs. But when the government regulates, when the government serves as a regulator, businesses won't be able to maximize their profits. Hence, they won't be able to employ more people, which in turn... Uh, uh, which in turn contributes more to the economy, if you know what I mean. Yeah, sure. I, I want to I want to agree with you on that point. Um, you know, if you want to talk about capitalism and uh, human rights and um, freedom, yeah, I think uh, you have to say capitalism really fits that view. Okay, capitalism really fits the view. Now, I, I want to quote a guy like uh, President Reagan. Reagan, he said, you know. When his his greatest fear is that governments become too powerful, in which, uh, in a way that they have to regulate the freedoms of their people. Now, in a way, people give up their freedom for their security, and that's what that's 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 what should I say? Communism and um, socialism brings no mostly communism. By the way, you know the government has to come in to regulate a lot of things. You know, to make sure you have enough food to eat, to make sure you're wealthy and, uh, you know, at least you have a minimum income. But on the other hand, they take away your freedom in which you have to show complete loyalty to the government. It's, it's, not, it's not the best way to go. It's not the best way to go. But I think um, socialism can be just, okay? If there is a system like that which cares about the welfare of people, but it is just in which... It doesn't use the power to constrain them, to constrain their freedoms and their rights. I think that that is what I would call just. Now, let me come again now to the issue of capitalism. 
There is what they call the, the idolatry of capitalism, in which we, we, have, we have a system in which uh, the resources are in the hands of a few people, a few powerful people. And what they do is they tend to exploit the masses. You know, I will say this again, Obama calls it the trickle-down economy. So what he said about trickle-down economies is you can continue to empower a few people and expect that the wealth is going to trickle down to those beneath them. You have to empower people on the grassroots to be able to rise and live their dreams and their expectations. You know, that's one injustice with capitalism. That's one injustice with capitalism. You know, uh, and people make often make the mistake to think that the GDP of a country, you know, determines the wealth of the general population. It's wrong. You know, you can't you can't judge you can you can't say people are living well based on the number of billionaires you have in your country. No, that, that's wrong. So uh, that's that's what they call the idolatry of capitalism. And capitalism too can be made just if the system empowers people from the grassroots. You know, not just leaving them. You know, when somebody is wealthy, you know, when, when somebody is wealthy, uh, and they have a free system in front of them, you know, it is difficult for those beneath them to rise because the, the rich keep getting richer. If you tell if you hear about the rich keep getting richer, it's under the capitalist system. I hope you understand that. But it can be made in a way when it, it's just, when it empowers those on the grassroots. So that's what I want to say. All right. So to your point, um, I do agree with you that capitalism can be just as bad as uh, socialism. Now, but I can't remember where I saw this quote. It says, socialism does not work because human beings love to own property. And because of that exact reason, that is why socialist regimes tend to use force and tyranny you know, to implement their policies. We, it's, it is ingrained in us to want to own property. And so now imagine you telling me that I can't own as much as I want to, or you are trying to, to place a cap on the amount of money I can earn or the amount of property I could buy. You know, the government, mm -hmm. that type of government would need to be tyrannical, you know, to enforce those, those, those uh, regulations, you know. Um, I am pro-capitalism and I'm pro-free markets, but I'll tell you that um, capitalism hasn't worked in Africa for many reasons. I actually just did a short YouTube video yesterday about this, but let me let me just uh, recount what I said. To me, I think the reason the reason capitalism hasn't worked in Africa is because Africa is over-regulated. The typical African country has, you know, a plethora of of regulations that do not allow for private enterprise to thrive. If you want to do very simple things, very basic things, usually it involves a whole lot of red tape. You know, you have to go from one, from one office to another office, from one office to another office. And in doing that, it slows down the process. And most times if you want to fast track your own process, you have to bribe some people, you know? And that only caters to the rich and wealthy. So for, for a young entrepreneur, let's say like me, if I want to do those things and I don't have the money to bribe somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody, I'll be stuck. Whereas the person who has enormous amount of money can game the system, you know? So I think overregulation is, uh, is a bane to the growth of capitalism in Africa. Another reason would be cronyism. Most African countries, um, if, 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 if you think about it, for most African countries, there is this alliance between the business class and the political class usually the business class tend to be the relatives or the friends or the cronies of the political class 
And based on that, based on that alliance, they tend to have contracts, they get to have concessions from the government that the average citizen cannot yes. get. You know, so I think and also you, you made you earlier in the show, you talked about the lack of institutions. Most African countries just don't have credible, strong institutions that would allow for yes. for for uh, the thriving of the private sector that will allow for the thriving of capitalism. So I think it's it's a complicated issue as regards why capitalism hasn't worked in Africa. But regardless, I am pro I am pro capital pro capitalism and pro free market, and I would hope that um, Africa can work on these limitations and allow for yes. the thriving of the private sector. Just let me just let me just cap in there for a while. I really want to agree on on your points. And I just want to say that the reason why, you know, we have a lot of regulations in Africa, it's, uh, and the reason why capitalism is not really working the way we think it should work, like uh, Tony and Omelo describes us as African capitalism, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a political reason. You know why? Power conservation. Yeah. yeah. You know, because there are a lot of governments that are implementing most of these regulations so as to keep the population under their control under the control so they don't lose power to some certain people. So they don't lose the power to some certain people. And in that in that way, they are always in charge and um, they make sure they stay into power as long as they can. So I think uh, the failure of capitalism in Africa has to do with, you know, uh, a political decision too. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. Absolutely. Now, let me try to still manage case for socialism. I'm, like I said, I'm pro-capitalism, but if I were to make a case for socialism, I would use the example of Thomas Sankara. Thomas Sankara is, is yes. one of the best African leaders we've had in the past 60 years, you know. Uh, but Thomas Sankara was a socialist, you know, in terms of his records in public health, in terms of his record in education, women's rights, and what have you. He has, he did, he did so well that I don't think there is any modern African leader that can actually match his records. You know, but he was a socialist. As a matter of fact, his heroes were Fidel Castro and Che Guevara. He was actually named the African Che Guevara, but he did so well on, during his short tenure. So, but what am I to say that? Um, uh, what am I to 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 reduce the impact he had in his country simply because he was a socialist? You understand? And but again. Um, I did say earlier that socialism has a proximity with, with dictatorship and tyranny, just like every other socialist mm -hmm. leader you can think of. He was also a dictator, you know. So these are just some of the nuances, uh, some of the issues I have with the socialism and capitalism um, debate. But I would argue with you that capitalism can be as bad as socialism, if not well managed. And we can already see that in Africa with cronyism, you know, with corruption and, 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 and what have you. So, you know. Yeah. It's a very complex um, issue, complex complex argument, if you ask me. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any final thoughts before we wrap up? Okay. Um, I, I just I just want to to to, to say uh, to to add a word to what you were saying about Thomas Ankara and uh, you know most of the post independence leaders in Africa. Most of them were uh, socialists. You know, Definitely. Yeah. You want to talk about Gaddafi? Want to talk about Gaddafi? I think under Gaddafi, Libya was doing well, but he was a dictator. You know, it always comes with, it always comes with that, with advice. But I, as I said, you know, the system can be made just if uh, the government doesn't use, you know, their power to impede on the freedoms of the people. 
Now, um, you know, the, there was this general idea in Africa, what they call Ubuntuism. I don't know if you know about that. It, it's highly socialist in nature. Yeah. Highly yeah. socialist in nature because it considers, you know, uh, you know, resources being owned and managed by the community rather than single individuals. And even, you know, even Christianity, you know, Christianity is highly socialist. I should say that Christianity is highly socialist. Uh, and it, it's an irony that even those in America who talk about um, evangelical uh, Christianity are opposed to socialism. <laughs> it's an irony, right? Those who talk about uh, evangelical uh, Christianity in the U.S. are opposed to socialism and all that. You know, but I think um, I, I want to I give this conclusion. The world, you know, uh, the, the, the Chinese president said a single flower does not make spring. Okay? A single flower does not make spring. The world is pretty diverse and we have our own civilizations, our own cultures, our own realities. And um, I think we should learn to share this world the way it is. You know, where capitalism works, where communism works, where socialism works, and wherever whatever system works. So long as the people are fine, so long as they have their basic freedoms, and so long as their rights are respected, I think um, it, it's just for me. You know, we should not focus on the fact of labels and get too political because that's what the whole debate is about. That's what this whole debate is about. If you talk about, you know, uh, you know, you know why the Chinese were highly, or the Russians would reject capitalism because they know it's American, and um, they think capitalism, you know, introducing capitalism in China or in a country like U.S. is simply bringing American culture to them, which will cancel out theirs. And just as communism, you know, the American war on communism is just the same, the same idea. The Americans don't want communism to come to, to their borders, to their shores, just because it is a Chinese ideology, you know, just because it's a Russian ideology. Because if you have to implement communism in the United States, it means you're counseling out American culture totally. And that is what they don't want to accept. So it's become, it's not become, it's not, it's not even becoming like a, a, something they want to adjust uh, uh, an economic system. It's becoming highly political, which it's, it's turned out to be a competition and a play between powers. I hope you understand what I'm saying. So Chinese don't want to hear about capitalism because it's American. Not because it, it, not because it works or it doesn't work, just because it's American. <laughs> I hope you understand. The yeah, same with the Russians. And the Americans don't want communism, not, not because it works or it doesn't work. It is because it is Chinese. And so if it gets in America, it counsels on our American culture. So uh, you know these these systems have become a cultural war in which it is trying to you know uh, does become now a plea of power between superpowers, and that's that's the problem we are facing. That's the problem we are facing right now. And so nations, you know, nations like in Africa, you know, when they try to adopt their own systems, you know, the West now tries to measure and say no, um, you're going, you're leaning to the left, you're leaning to the right. No, you're leaning to the east, you're leaning to the west, and so you're not right, and this is not right. You know, they, they, they see the expansion of socialism and communism in Africa as the expansion of Chinese influence in Africa. I hope you understand. Yeah. And the Chinese, yeah. in turn, see the expansion of capitalism in Africa as the expansion of American influence in Africa. So that's it. It's just become a, a play of power, and it's not making the system work in any way. So uh, as I said, it's only it only works when it's just, when the rights of people are expected, they have the freedoms, and they are, they are able to bring out their individuality. Yeah, so to your point about Ubuntu, it reminds me of my first year in uni. 
uh, we did something on African philosophy and we studied Julius Nyerere. Julius Nyerere postulated Ujama, the philosophy of Ujama. Now, at its core, Ujama is also very socialist, very, very socialist. So I can understand why a lot of post-independence African leaders adopted some version of Marxism or socialism. You know, it appealed to them. You know, at, it, at that time, the West was known for colonialism, was known for the racism, you know, and all that. And so mm -hmm. uh, the East, that is socialism, communism, appealed to them. They wanted something different. You know, adopting any ideology from the West would be more like committing sacrilege, you know. So yes. I can understand why it appealed to them. But some people might argue with you that the adoption of socialism set Africa back by many de decades. But that's a matter of debate anyways. All right. Um, Destiny, how can people find you, maybe your foundation or something? If people want to connect with you, how can they do that? Okay. Um, you want to connect with my foundation, you can send me an email on uh, alfufoundation1 at outlook.com. Alfu is A-F-U and then foundation as, as it is. At Outlook, alfufoundation1 at outlook.com. Or you can get to Facebook page. My Facebook page name is Destiny Alfu. Uh, for the foundation name is uh, Apple Foundation. Just as simple as that. We are just on, we are just on Facebook and Twitter. I'm just getting on Twitter for now. So, um, but we are more active on Facebook. And um, if you want to call me, if you want to call me. I think I should give up my number. Is that okay? Uh, why? Why not? Why not? Okay. Okay. If you want to call me, uh, uh, you have to put the country code two three seven six seven five. Uh, 374051. So that's my number to reach me. And uh, I'm open to uh, any collaboration uh, in aspects of governance, leadership, international relations, international development, and anything that you know benefits humanity socially. So uh, thank you a lot for having me today. Thank you a lot. I really love the program. Though we had the network pitches, but it was good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, thank you very much. Uh, I It was a very interesting conversation with you. And hopefully... We'll have more conversations in the future. All right. Thank you. Yeah, sure. I'm really, I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah. Later. Bye-bye. Right. Have a nice day, man. You too.